Public Enemy's Minister of Information, Professor Griff, celebrates the 30-year anniversary of the best hip-hop album ever. Thursday, June 28, 2018, at the Jam Handy. Witness a special behind-the-music unsung tribute to Public Enemy's It Takes a Nation of Millions to Hold Us Back album. Hip-hop performances from Mahogany Jones, Kari Way Frazier, and more will honor the landmark album. All right, we are back in the Detroit is Different studios. It is spring finally in effect. It's taken a while. Uh, April 13th, 2018. And I'm here with somebody that uh, I'm working with now. A uh, young brother I met not too long ago. It was actually at a community forum at Detroit SIP. Uh, shout out to Giovanna. Uh, shout out to Earn and that whole team bringing that space together. And further down McNichols, uh, closer to the east side right. but still in that west side area <laughs> it's another space coming together a, a mixed dwelling where people are staying the apartments will fly right. uh things are reconditioned and the kitchens come together a, a stage is there already birthday parties are happening and people are doing these events at a space called the wildermere at wildermere and mcnichols a six mile so Let's talk a little bit about that. I got Corey Williams here. That's a part of that. Uh, Mr. Williams, how you feeling today? I'm feeling real good. Happy to be here with Detroit is different. Most definitely. Most definitely. So this always starts with the same question. Uh, Detroit and your family. Um, okay. How did your family end up coming to Detroit? Oh, man. We've been in Detroit our whole lives. I mean, my great my great grandmother was here. Uh, okay. We've been here over 100 years. Okay. So that means that you're okay, great grandmother. So that's uh you're elisa that would have been if that's first then that's second third you're a fourth generation detroiter that you know of right where 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 did she come from detroit okay so she was born here yeah. okay so her parents where were her right. parents born i don't know <laughs> all i know is detroit i don't okay. have a lot of people from detroit they have family they go down south to their family and to atlanta i got a big family but they're all here everybody's here my whole okay. family's here we deep right in Detroit, and it's all we know. Okay, ain't that something? All right, so let's talk about deep right in Detroit. Uh, great grandmother, did you know her? Yeah. Okay, so you had a relationship with her. All right, so that's a blessing. That's a blessing. Where did she live? We st she stayed on Plymouth and Evergreen for most of my life. Plymouth, Plymouth Evergreen. Evergreen, yeah. I I, I uh, stamped most neighborhoods by the high school that that's over. So that's Cody. like that Cody area. Yeah. Okay, Cody so Rouge. so did you uh, spend much time over there as a kid or uh, like? I, I lived over. We actually come from the pro a project called uh, Plymouth Square, and um, yeah, we spent. I spent. I lived there too. She lived. Uh, my grandma lived there, and I lived there. Um, she also stayed had a stint in Rosedale, but she always would come back. Like she bought a house in Rosedale, then ended up selling and went back to the housing project. Um, but for the majority of our lives, we was right there on Plymouth and Evergreen in a project huh. called Plymouth Square. Okay, Plymouth and Evergreen. Okay, now that whole community uh, definitely has a whole feel. And the biggest feel that I think about in that community is Rouge Park. Right. What What do you remember about Rouge Park growing oh, up? Oh man, Rouge Park. We used to, uh, the swimming pool, of course, and then mm. uh, going down to the park, Rouge Park. And when we got a little older, even before we was older, we'd walk down, you know, because they uh, Rouge Park was like a mini Belle Isle. It was uh, what what Chandler Park was for the east side. Right, Rouge, Rouge was, was for, for the, the west, west side. Right. So it's like it, this would be so mad. Like uh, we would. Um, 
like we graduate from high school and what what would happen is we'd be like all right you know the the police you just cruise bell out and then the police would pick kick people off when it'd just be too many people and you go too down much to chandler park. so then you'd be like all right let's go over to chandler park if you want to see girls from the east side right and then you go over to rouge if you want to meet girls from the west side yeah, you know right. but um yeah so, so that's how it was but even as a kid we were uh i mean young kids i remember we Six, seven years old. That's the difference between uh, my kids and who we were. Six, seven years old. We was walking a couple a mile or so down the Rouge Park to go to the the water park. You know, to the mm. to the swimming pool. Mm. And we go down there. We ride our bikes to Westland. Uh, we used to call it White Man's Land mm. when we crossed over Telegraph. We yeah, ride our awesome. bikes all the way to Westland, stuff like that. Yeah. Okay. Fair uh, Lane. Okay. Uh, let's let's talk a little bit about this era. Was this like 80s, 90s, so 70s? I'm, 80. I'm, I'm born in 80. So this okay. is like 85 to present. 85, like early 90s. Yeah, early 90s. Okay. Uh, let's talk a little bit about your parents and what did they do? Uh, what what professions did your parents have? Uh, my Well, I grew up in a single family home with uh, the same ills that uh, uh 80s baby we had. I was back in the crack era and stuff like that. I don't know if I'm going too deep for Detroit is different. but Oh, man, sure. sure. Yeah, yeah. But I grew up in a single parent home mm-hmm. with a parent who had a stint with addiction and stuff like that, hmm. and that's that's my. Well, I don't have a father. Mm. I didn't grow up with. So a father. you didn't have a relationship with your father no, at all. Period. Hmm. Did you know anything about his family? I had an aunt that kept in touch with me and a cousin. Shout hmm. out to Brandis. Yeah, she watching. Okay, uh, but that's really on my father's side. That was all. So it was like your mother's family, and yep. then uh, and then after as as this is real in a lot of families, um, black and white, just America, addiction is something real, uh, even with alcohol itself. But right. uh, addiction is something that we we've seen uh, right now. Uh, what's what's happening with the. I guess what they're saying, the opioid crisis is definitely being looked at completely different than what the crack epidemic was looked at. Yeah, um, yeah that's troubling. But a lot of the a lot of the people that I knew, um, family members and everything, just seeing that and just having that. Like, what impact do you think that that's had, like, at, coming up, just seeing the, the realism of that and, um, you know, still building a relationship with a mom? Yeah, um... That's 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 wild that you're talking about that man. Um, just coming up in that era, it's kind of like I always look at it like it was a negative example, right? Mm-hmm. So, and I worry about the generation today. I guess I, I don't know if I should, but I worry about the generation underneath me and my family coming up mm-hmm. because they didn't have that experience. I know that sounds weird, but I just know myself and my cousins, and we are so close. Who, who had to experience that parent with an addiction, we, that negative example was strong. Mm-hmm. And it drove us in a polar opposite direction. So we mm-hmm. are 100% against drug and drug abuse. And I grew up in NA. So my mom was an addict for, mm-hmm. a stint, for a period of time in her life. Mm-hmm. And then um, she went to recovery. Mm-hmm. And every day, Every day after school, some people were going after school programs, so forth and so on. I was going to NA mm. with my mom, right? Going to NA and learning the step, the twelve step program and stuff like that because I absolutely despised and hated crack. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because I understood it in okay. a very intimate way. Like I understood. A, a, I'm talking about five, six, seven years, eight, 
10 years old, I knew what crack was. I knew what heroin was. I knew how much it cost. I knew what it smelled like. I know what it looks like. I know how much it sells for. And I know what type of destruction it caused. Okay, now you talk about that in uh, my... my 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 like uh i guess venture into a lot of this is hip-hop and right. uh hip-hop in a lot of ways has been seen as glamorizing it uh i just feel like a lot of the rappers really just don't tell the other side of it and when i say the other side of the game a lot of the people that i knew um at that time growing up i mean this street right here clements is the house th this is the street i grew up on oh, okay. so the so during this time and I mean, as they say, the streets are hiring. It's still, I'm sure, uh, any uh, a lot of forms of uh, of getting high that are accessible uh, to to all types of means. But a lot of the people that I saw doing successful now are struggling with addiction. Like okay. the biggest dope dealers when I was younger are now a lot of the people that are struggling with addiction, yeah. or they've passed on, or they're incarcerated. And then, like, some form of, like, all of that, as, uh, you know, people even talk about, like, you know, when you cook the drugs, uh, cooking it, it'll, it'll get into your bloodstream. Right. You know, and then this this becomes the, the whole addiction, whereas the story that Jay-Z talks about, the story that Biggie talks about, the story that, I mean, this is really aging me, Spice One talks about never really goes into the 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 realism of first off the relationships that a lot of the drug addicts had with the drug dealers uh of being um the gateways for business okay. uh the the drug addicts were really the uh, uh, and then even labeling that like uh, the the part of the community the lively part of the community and and really the gateways for business and mm -hmm. i always felt like rappers kind of paint a picture like you know look at this fiend he ain't nothing in my era mm -hmm. nowadays drug use is being more embraced uh, when we think about rappers like uh future mm -hmm. um yeah. uh gucci Mane, um, right. migos and yeah. and the different peel culture you mm -hmm. know and in different forms of opioids uh little wayne mm -hmm. it, it it shifted so when you mm -hmm. talk about this generation and the way they're looking at drug use yeah um Versus abuse, the impact yeah. it may have on the child, the family, right. uh, everybody involved, you know, because the the ethic of like, you know, they're going to get it from somebody. They might as well get it from me yeah. was always like the surface level thinking. Yeah, I I, 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 I see where you come. I definitely agree with you. Um, and, and my back in well, still my gener generation because we still in hip hop. But yeah, um, back in the day. It was more of a, a speaking on drugs as more of, like you said, a gateway to business, mm -hmm. more so than a use. Uh, I use drugs as it is today. It's more they Molly Percocet and mm -hmm. sipping on uh, cough syrup, codeine yeah. cough syrup and stuff like that. And that that does scare me because I thought we were going to be in a, <laughs> we were going to get to a point where there were no more crackheads, you know, mm -hmm. crackheads for yeah yeah for lack of a better word, right? Mm -hmm. Because People in my generation, we despised crack. It was like crack, you a crackhead. That was a negative, it had a negative connotation. Yeah. And to see a drug use being glorified again, kind of rekindling some old demons in our community is uh, troubling to me. Okay. So when you talk about that troubling um, and seeing that like from this lens, of like that whole scope because that that neighborhood when we think about like that evergreen that cody neighborhood right more right 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 more as they say the mo right. uh it's knee deep in the game like yeah 
Like when people talk about the whole concept of, uh, and a lot of people glorify it, it's weird. Like Big Meech uh, mm-hmm. and Dimitri, and went as he left Southwest Detroit and head down, headed to Atlanta. He just basically took a lot of the the traction and the 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 know how of hustling, mm-hmm. of like what a lot of the people from Detroit were doing, It just did that in Atlanta and mm-hmm. it became a, a a resource to many people yeah. as uh well, Big being like a, the a, a a hero a yeah. hero to a lot of folks yeah, yeah. but understandably so, well I got a philosophy and a theory on that too it's like uh in many s- situations in Black America we've had a situation where people were running away to the suburbs and it left like a void like a vacuum where persons like a big meech or a brick in my era uh which was closer closer to me mm-hmm. they become celebrity because the doctor and the lawyer they had 50 going north to the suburbs and they left a void for those young uh young impressionable teens and young tweens and whoever to say okay what do i see what is my reality what do i see in my world so if you're right here on clemens mm-hmm. and the only person that you see getting money or having any type of resources is the neighborhood drug dealer. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, well, I take a position where the drug dealer is, is uh, demonized in our community, but also the drug dealer is a superhero in many instances because he's the one sticking around who has resources. Uh, he's the one that, at least in my experience, and a lot of people... Uh, from the outside looking in, they can demonize and talk the way they want to about uh, the situation that's going on in the hood from a uh, educational standpoint, but from a reality standpoint, you see the drug dealer, the person who's selling narcotics in the neighborhood. He's the one in my situation buying me ice cream when my mom's on drugs and I can't get anything. He's the one standing at the ice cream truck like, "Hey, what's going on?" He's the one giving you money for A's and B's. It's not the lawyer. It's not the doctor. They're not here. Mm-hmm. They ran out and they're going out and they're on the suburbs now. And they actually sometimes, from what I notice, with my professional, uh, the professional network that I am, that I, uh, that you're in, that I'm in now, uh-huh. sometimes it, they still despise the hood. Oh, niggas don't do this or they should mm-hmm. do that. When people, you know, it's the, the, the neighborhood drug dealer at times who's actually relating to these people and giving back to the community in a way that other people are not. Uh, so sometimes like you see attorneys and doctors, they yeah. you see them coming back in a situation where it's like, okay, let's do a coach for kids. And they come in and they say, okay, coach for kids. And then they go head back north where that, that one person who's demonized is forever present. He's always there. And not only am I there giving back i'm there every day okay so now as you talk about that being there every day and uh in in these relationships and this is deeper and this is why i think the show the wire i like because it's it reminded me so much of like true relationships i've seen but uh the people in that community uh in your community uh growing up especially like in the projects um do you feel that uh, like what what were the checks and balances of of the the person um 
that you say met like the the drug dealer being demonized and then that relationship to the family to the community like what responsibilities have you seen a drug dealer take in communities and then what responsibilities do you think a drug dealer has to a community oh man see not see now you getting deep curry mm -hmm. for real because um it cut it's like a double-edged sword it's mm -hmm. like i see it cutting both ways i think I've seen drug dealers actually take responsibilities for com communities. I see them buying diapers. I see them paying rents for people who are in need. I see them going to the grocery store, giving mm -hmm. an older woman money. I see them uh, protecting people. I see them uh, protecting communities. But I also see them destroying communities mm -hmm. in the same note. I see a crack house, at least. I don't even know if crack houses exist anymore. I, maybe well, I'm getting I mean, out of touch. In, in rap, in rap music, they'll say it's trapping. I haven't seen that form of yeah. uh, drug distribution yeah. at, at the same. Yeah. Like I would say, you know, um, and I'm squares all. I'm I'm like the squares per person in my social circle. Like yeah. like my friends, my homies. Now right. I have a lot of uh, professional acquaintances that I made over time, and we have like business friendships but like of my my friendships or the people i grew up with i'm definitely beyond square you know what i'm saying like everybody else is flagged up for something yeah. and a lot of it i think is being black yeah. but um but if flagged up means you have a felony for for the people that don't know but uh um i've i don't see that like today i see a lot of people like even even the way drugs were distributed in when I was younger was like a, a hierarchy of um, a hierarchy of like it was like drug crews. So like I, it was kids like my age that were lookouts that would make money. Mm -hmm. Whereas now it's like everybody I see like pushing weight. Like so like they'll you know, a person will buy a pound so that they can sell a half pound. And right. then a person will buy a half pound so they can sell a quarter pound. And a quarter exactly. pound to sell an ounce. And then an ounce they finally get to the person using. <laughs> Whereas before it was like let's build a hierarchy and let's distribute like this but a lot of that kind of came together and broke down with conspiracy laws uh that still exist rico yeah. laws a lot of a lot of uh time that's still being served for i think trumped up charges that barack obama towards the end of his administration um was breaking down and countering yeah. but a lot of those people that were incarcerated under those under those laws originally like in the late 80s uh during the time when i was so adamantly against um against the crime bill that was introduced and supported adamantly from uh clinton. hillary clinton yeah. in the clinton administration exactly. yeah. i i was against that because I, I felt that that heightened the prison industrial complex i agree and it's been so many people i get a lot of flack for having that that position but i agree with you you know the clintons was was behind a lot of what we see now mm -hmm. Yeah, like people serving 30 years, uh, especially like girlfriends and wives of people because of conspiracy. It's like exactly. basically tell us what you know. And then on the flip side, you see something like Bernie Madoff's wife living scot-free. Exactly. You know, and it it, it, it just mm, it, it's a tough it's a tough thing. So yeah. like on that, what what responsibility do you think um, with all these things and with that temperature? What responsibility do you feel uh, a guy in the game has? That's what I was to the community. To. Yeah, now. yeah. I seen a lot of destruction from 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 brothers in the hood. Like you say, you just most square in your circle. So I'm, I've been I've been there. Like you know what I'm saying. I caught I had a felony, mm -hmm. you know, and I had to wrestle with it. So, but I turned square consciously. Like mm -hmm. I, 
I can't do this anymore. I got to be square from now mm -hmm. on. Feel mm -hmm. me? So I'm square, and I'm the most square in my hood circle. Mm -hmm. Shout out to all my homies from Where? the hoods that Where? I've been in. It, but I'm the hoodest in my square circles. <laughs> so, right. So at the law school, they looking at me like, like, oh shit. Oh shoot! Yeah, here comes this this guy. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I got the dress. So the teachers are looking for, looking at me a certain kind of way, and it's like, oh, I'm I'm from the hood. Mm -hmm. But then when I'm in the hood, I'm the law school graduate. It's like, oh man, you go with that black power stuff again, man. Can we live? You mm -hmm. know, don't stress us out about you know doing the right thing or being mm -hmm. conscious about black lives. Mm -hmm. You know, so I'm I'm square there. But then in, in the law school, I'm I'm hood. Or Ain't so it appears. But the responsibility, so I see brothers like the crack house, for example, not taking care of, like you making the most money in this neighborhood. The you making more money than the liquor store, the gas station, everything on a daily basis in some in some circumstances. And your house is the worst one on the block. Mm -hmm. How's that? You know, I look at it from a different perspective. I'm looking at it like, okay, if you selling dope in this neighborhood, you should be beautifying this neighborhood. But mm -hmm. I'm a real estate guy. Mm -hmm. I'm a community guy. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just how I look at things. So I'm like, you know, if you're going to sell dope, don't be the asshole. Don't be mm -hmm. the, the dirt bag. Don't just suck off the community. You're getting money. And you got a lot of power. You now can you tell, know. tell people what to do when they do it. Cause you, cause you powerful. Now you know what's uh, crazy about that whole that whole take that you have. From what I've seen, uh, some of the most dangerous people that I've seen associate with. Um, it's been so many instances being tough, being about that life, being street hood or whatever. Right. Are guys that uh, grew up more like me. Uh, I grew up in a two parent household. Um, uh, my dad's an entrepreneur, so I'm I'm deep in entrepreneurship i had a lot of resources right. but a lot of people that chose the streets i think are people that really don't have the respect for the ethic and they're generally the ones that conduct themselves under the manner that you just spoke of okay. but a lot of the people i know that came up from like um came up from the streets respected in a level where they will beautify like you you know you wouldn't even right. know like right. one day you'll be driving down the street you know the guy cuts his grass every day mm -hmm. drives a really uh <laughs> You know, drives like Regular an old car. Honda Civic <laughs> or something like that. And then you'll see the DEA raid their house. You'd be like, like damn, damn getting money. I didn't even know that. <laughs> you know, but that and then you, you then you have the conversation because the 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 demonstrative, the 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 more egotistical guys. I'm like, this guy really is choosing to live this life yeah. for whatever reason. And it's a lot of people like that. Like okay. I think in most uh in most of these situations, because maybe they get taken advantage of or exploited, you know, um, those are some of the most dangerous people. A guy trying to prove he's tough yeah. versus somebody that's like, you know, cause cause really, you know, the people I know, like just just goofy stuff. Like even carrying guns, for instance. Mm -hmm. You know, it's certain people because they have real uh <laughs> They're, because they're dealing with real penitentiary chances, right. they're not just carrying guns to the supermarket. Right. And then I know people that carry guns to the supermarket because it's like, I wish somebody would try me. You yeah. know what I'm saying? It's like, yo, dude, you're, you're some walking in my own supermarket because it's like, shit, it's dangerous as hell out here. But their thought process versus somebody else's thought process taking those penitentiary chances is so, yeah. you know, it's like, it's like worlds of different, mm -hmm. worlds apart of like, okay, you're, 
the danger you see versus the danger he sees or she sees is so different, but they're conducting it differently and and even their understanding of the ethic. Because right. some of the some of the truest gangsters I know are actually guys that are like 50, 60. Um, you know, when I was a truck driver and my dad was like, man, you, he was like, man, that's weird. Like I, I was, um, when I was a truck driver, one of the first guys that took like some murder reps for YBI was uh, served his whole life term, but he was so young. But it's so weird. He like carry around all these Polaroids of the people he murdered. And he murdered like, uh, he murdered wow. like uh, 18 people. You yeah. know, we called him old school. Old school, like his personality. You knew this guy. Yeah, man. You know yeah, what, man. man. And, and, and you, uh, cared, you cared about the guy? I mean, care is such a weird term. I mean, I had a relationship with you him. I mean, to this day, you know what? That's to this day, I would uh, like, let's put it like this. I mean, we every day when I, when we were going through truck school right uh oh, almost like every day we would have uh we would go uh we would go get normal guys lunch right? together yeah yeah man that's the weird thing about about our neighborhoods you know and i've thought about this i know people who kill people too mm-hmm. and what's up brother boom boom and i know yeah, man. And, and I'm talking about you. Tell, you just told me about a guy that just killed 18 people. I probably yeah, know people who killed that many people too. And in other communities, that's like an axe murderer. That's yeah. like a, that's like that's like that's like Charles Man. I, I don't even know if Charles Manson killed that many people. I think he was like uh, giving orders for people to murder people. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But we know people who, who mass murder yeah. people. Yeah. And it's just like every day, how you doing, brother? Yeah. No fear. I know guys who kill people. I have no fear of them. Yeah, I mean, I... I it's weird. It's like, it's like I don't know what kind of... I, I'm not a psychologist or anything, but that's a weird psyche to have where wow, it's people deep. who just, just are absolutely violent people, and I'm not afraid of them. Now, you know what's so crazy about that? I was having a talk with, um, with somebody else on Detroit is Different, right. and it's just certain... Is certain, I guess, uh, tragic realities that I've accepted from living in this community where um, where it's just like I know to get down. Like yeah. I, I look at it like I'm safe around them because exactly. I, I pose no threat and I'm not moving in those circles. Now, and if, if I ever happened- change, if I ever change the dynamics of the relationship, right. if I ever decide to. Uh, go into it could be street business or any business if i ever cross the line where the dynamics of the relationship change i open up myself to uh being vulnerable to uh for him to respond in possibly violent ways like here's a classic example and this has probably happened to so many people uh when i was like 13 uh me and my friend sterling joke about this when i was 13 i got robbed and when my my parents didn't come to me like wow this is my parents was like where was you at because it's like we've conditioned ourselves to believe right. that robbery is an is 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 a is a reality for our community so if if when you get robbed i don't look at it like damn man that's messed up you think to yourself like who is you hanging around right. yeah you should probably expect <laughs> but the one thing but the crazy part about it is okay so we know these violent people mm-hmm. and we look at them as now nah, i'm about to take this deep for detroit is different and i don't know if go. y'all ready yeah go we look at them as assets at least, at least, at least the people 
the people who, in my circle, in my <laughs> circle, they would know what I'm talking about. Some people, so, so they would be they see it so, as like a goon or a shooter. Or exactly. Like, so uh, it's like maybe right. an enforcer or this. If I'm going to do business with somebody with less than character, which a lot of times as people say, you know, uh, there's no honor amongst thieves. The honor amongst thieves kind of comes with the respect and the diplomacy of right. he associates with him, and I don't want to risk being murdered. So the whole idea of hanging around someone, it, it's funny. Uh, in Malcolm X's autobiography. He talks about this a lot. The whole idea of hanging around someone that would is so that the people that you do business with that generally conduct themselves where they need that incentive. Right. Because they've been conditioned to be like, I'm only paying people if I got to pay. Right. And one of the got to pay reasons is I, I may get murdered. Exactly. So and you may choose to do business with somebody like exactly. that. So I, I would I would argue also. This same reality goes for uh, the gruesome brutality that uh, we as black men face from police officers. The 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 the, oh the it's God. this new it's this new law that uh, California is looking to enforce, where it's like you know the only time police officers can use deadly forces if they directly fear for their lives. But I was laughing about that, and you were uh, right we were together, and we were like. You know, that's what officers always, say, always say. But it's a, it's like a, it's like a over. It's it's never explicitly told, but the tragedy of police officers is police officers, I believe, need to murder black men specifically because of the threat that we pose in America, and the idea uh, of the fear that I have of because yeah, you're right. It, it, police officers. Is what I fear the most. If I if I never interact with an on duty police officer the rest of my life, I, that would be wonderful. Um, you know, like I say, I tell people all the time. I say, man, a police officer has never. So I guess I'll never be running for a political office because I'm about to say this. A police officer has never, in my reality, has never saved a, my kitten from a tree or found my bike after someone stole it. My experience with police officers is straight up brutality I, I, and over aggression. I would uh, and giving me tickets in a car. Ne- they have. I've never called a police officer and they actually found the person who broke into my house. Well, I, I look at like uh, I look at it as a formality. I've seen I've seen things. I've seen better responses sometimes for police than I expected. But I, I look at it as a formality, like it's a legal matter. So it's you know if my. If my car is stolen, I got to call the police because of the car insurance situation. But I'm not calling the police because I expect um, I expect to, you know, uh, be given justice or anything. I look at police as way more of an obstacle in my community than a asset in my community. And that's one of the biggest biggest separation sometimes between a young and an old generation as well whereas i look at a problem with like somebody in the hood that where police may consider a threat or a criminal or whatever i feel like i i i can probably reason my way out a whole lot easier dealing with a street situation for whatever <laughs> than a, a justice situation. situation police or court or any form of that system i feel like court's gonna always cost me money right way more than i want to and way more time than I wanted to. Whereas in a street situation, depending upon I, I have it's it's a it's a level of consideration that will be given to me that won't be given to me in a justice right. or police situation at all. My whole thought process with police is shut up 
and my whole thought process in the courtroom is shut up again yeah. whereas i feel like you know if me and you have like a, a man-to-man like beef then i can be like all right this is what i was thinking yeah <clears throat> this was my intention and then you can say all right i took your i took what happened like this and I took what happened like that, yeah. and then we could talk it out. I'll never have that freedom with police officers. Yeah, but the thing about it, yeah, but I don't even know how we having those two conversations or mm-hmm. that's like apples and oranges. Like yeah. the police, the brother in the street, that's just like, that's a citizen, whether you want to calculate yeah. him that way or not. He's a citizen just like I am. So, I agree. But this, this is a public official, and I think that's where sometimes people get it twisted. Like this is a public official. Like I'm paying you. To do these things. I'm paying you to abuse me and I'm yeah, actually not paying you to abuse me. I'm paying you to protect me. Like right. I had a situation. Let me tell you a situation. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, let me give you a situation. And, and, and this is this comes to um I didn't get my law license because uh my partly because of my relationship with the police or whatever, you know. Uh-huh. Because I didn't pass character and fitness. But anyway, um just to give you like one day we were in my neighborhood, right in Plymouth Square on Plymouth Evergreen, the those projects and it was some older guy that was shooting dice right outside and the police showed up but we, me and we were i was 13 years old so we was outside like just um just being uh, kids we, yeah we was being kids we was playing uh, hike go seek mm-hmm. and the police pulled up i didn't see the police pull up but people broke out running so i kind of you know when people break out running you break out running you took- ask questions Later, like what the hell was people another form for? of another form of conditioning of us being in the black right, community? Running because yeah. everybody started running. Yeah, like, it, you, yeah, we're not trying on. to figure out what they running from until after. But I did like a like a little yeah. jog thing. Mm-hmm. So I hit a corner. I'm right in front of my, like on like I I live with my grandmother on the, in the summer times at this point. So I'm like on my grandmother's front stoop, and the police officer. All I know, I didn't even know police were there. All I see is uh freeze, and uh, I turn around, there's a light in my face. Mm-hmm. He's like, get on the ground. My, I'm 13, so I get on the ground, and the next thing is a, it's a nine millimeter in the back of my head and a boot in the back mm-hmm. of my head. So my cousin, he's 16. Shout out to Quinde, and he could testify to this situation. He's sitting in the car, and with a girlfriend of his, and he jumps out the car, non-threatening, honest to God, non-threatening. He say, hey, he lives here, officer. You got the wrong person, or whatever. He mm-hmm. like, shut the fuck up. Excuse, I don't know. Oh no, nah, continue. He like shut the fuck up before I take you to jail. This is how the police interact with a thirteen year old and sixteen year old in the neighborhood, and they feel like it's like second nature. It's commonplace. Like, cause there was other police officers around, and no, and and and, and, and no, in these there's six cops around. Yeah, this is like the norm, cause nobody, the other five cops didn't say what the what the hell. I mean, the 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 the, yeah. the other community members didn't come yeah. up and say like the people who we were with, my mm-hmm. friends. They didn't say, "Whoa, what is going on?" The uh, the people that live yeah. in the community weren't like this cop it's is wrong. out of hand. He just told yeah. this thirteen year old boy to shut the fuck up, uh, the sixteen year old boy to shut the fuck up, and he has a thirteen year old boy with in handcuffs, yeah, with a gun in his head, and he just kicked him in the back of his head. I, I, that does yeah. not happen. That's not normal, but we feel like it's normal because we, like you said, we've been conditioned we've like been, this. Yeah, this yeah. way that we've been raised is, it doesn't happen like that in Birmingham. Oh, Corey, if you kick this Corey, little, not even Corey, a white boy, I if mean, you kick the little black boy in Birmingham head, mm-hmm. let alone a white boy, mm-hmm. you know, they don't even treat you like that. Yeah. With a gun, the gun yeah. drawn, I could have been dead. 
Yeah, I, I mean everything you're saying. And like, I went I, to jail. Oh yeah. Mm. And my cousin went to jail. Wow. He told mm. my cousin, "Shut the fuck up before I take you to jail." And my cousin said, "No, no, 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 officer, you have it wrong. He lives right here, officer." He said, "Shut the." F- mm. Click click. I was already in cuss. Thirteen. Mm. Playing hide go seek in my neighborhood. And you know what? We Corey? are under siege. You know what, Corey? What's so crazy is I've had guns drawn on me at least four times by police. I've yeah, never had a, I've never had a gun drawn on me by by a citizen. As violent as Detroit is, I've never been robbed, and I've never had a gun drawn on me by just but by police citizen. officers many a times oh, to yeah. the point where it's so funny. Like, um, actually, even when I got pulled over recently, like it's so often because even when you know you're driving and then they approach the vehicle with the gun exactly. drawn and um, and for whatever reason, it, it was it was goofy like last time, and I just I start I put it on Facebook Live, and a lot of people were responding. But I'm just like, yo, this is I'm like this is how I interact with police. Right. So that's I thought it was a teachable moment for other people. So <clears throat> that's why I started the Facebook Live, and the the challenge of it all, even as I've grown older, and then you know they run my record and stuff, and then police. Then they try to have like that heart to heart sometimes with you. I don't exactly. know if you've had this yeah. where it's like, you know, you wanted the good ones, but you know, it's a lot of crazy yeah, ones. Man. And I'm like, you know, and I I'm had, like, okay, that doesn't change the fact that you had a gun drawn on my face, man, bro. I could tell you many stories. I I just we'll run out of time on Detroit is different. But another situation I have, and I'm not gonna run through the whole thing. I'm in law school, and I told him I'm in law school. I'm in handcuffs again. No, I haven't committed a crime. I'm in handcuffs. They just mm-hmm. you know doing their job. Yeah. And then after I tell him like, man, I'm in law school. Bro, I'm graduating from law school. I'm not out here committing crimes. I'm just sitting here in front of my homeboy's house waiting for him to come home. They guns drawn on me, everything. Then after they don't find the guns and the drugs that they're looking for, Basically. they like, what you think you smarter than us? I'm like, man. <laughs> they like, man. Dig this. What these two cops said to me. He said, because you know, I, I start running that black power on them again, because mm-hmm. that's what I do. Yeah. And they're like, uh, man. We went to uh, black college. I said, damn, well, let me shut up. Let me shut up because y'all got the answer. Y'all, you just justified what you did. You went to black college. So, obviously, you haven't just done some racist shit. Yeah, and and it's the same. And I'm being facetious, right? Oh, no, I, I know exactly what you mean, bro. I, I mean, it's... It's one of the, like, in this discussion, like, all the times with Detroit is different. I don't know where the discussion will go, but this is definitely a needed discussion. And it's good to have a discussion with somebody like, I'm 82, you 80. Like, we're in the same bracket of of what we live in and the reality we've seen and interacting with police. So, uh, I, I've, I've accepted so much of this conditioning to the point where, yeah, a, a lot of it plays out. And then on the flip side, even with hood things, like hood realities uh, that we've accepted, but definitely the the police officers are a threat. Yeah, um, they definitely they've threat. you know as I as I talk about the the constructive you know what can be constructive for the dope dealer. I feel the most constructive thing a police officer could do is stay the hell away from me and my community and black <laughs> men in general. That sounds crazy, but but I feel that that is the most constructive. You know thing what? That a police That's radical, but. Bro, and let us and let us as a community That's handle radical. the challenges that exist radical, in our community. Like I said, I've never had a police officer save a kitty from the tree. Like mm-hmm. that's like the the fire, I guess the fireman is the one who saved yeah. cats from trees, but the police officer that 
image that you have that of a that you're supposed to have of a police officer and that my kids at their school my kids because they go out to these you know suburban mm-hmm. schools and so forth that's their image of police is not my image my image of police is an occupier someone yeah. who is like oppressing and over aggressive and mean as hell to me so and 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 and, and, and just to bring it full circle I graduated from law school and a part of my character and fitness, which I didn't pass because I'm, they say I don't respect authority. And, and given mm-hmm. my conditioning, one of the issues was I don't respect authority. And I couldn't tell the character and fitness panel for everybody who understand what character and fitness is. And, and that's a totally and that was story. that was the next question I was about to get into law school. So I'm guessing this led you into law, and the 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 idea of what exists because law is such law is such a, a, a law is such a, a classic systemic racist institution being that law is built on precedent, yeah. and and the precedent <laughs> of this nation is racist, built on. Right. Still in land and still in people. Yeah. So it's still in land and still in labor, which law is really one of the like, you know, you sit on the bench under, you know, to justify whose land is it and whose land is it not. Right. So the whole premise of law is based on property and the whole precedent of property in this nation is stolen property. Right. And being that you have to establish precedent to have anything just in justice, it's already such a weird premise to begin with. Yeah. You know, so I, I I I nerd out. That's that's kind of the term I use with some of these theories and some of these systems, yeah. because through the cracks in the system, I, I look at uh, one of my one of my mentors in Chokwe Lumumba. Uh, definitely, like the way he looked at justice and law as an attorney was was powerful. So, what what led your interest to being an attorney before we even actually see? We, we went down to to criminal justice, but I never had an interest in criminal justice. Like mm-hmm. that wasn't that was real estate passion. led me to law school. And actually, being why from, did uh, why did what what sparked your interest uh, to say? All right, I need I need to 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 be on the legal side of this game. Man, my educational career was just absolutely haphazard. I was in the game. Explain. I was in the game. I was mm-hmm. selling I was selling weed when weed was illegal or marijuana or whatever you want to mm-hmm. call it. You mm-hmm. know, bowls. Mm-hmm. If that brings a bell to anybody. And mm-hmm. that's when it was illegal. Mm-hmm. And police raided my home um, and I ended up catching a case mm-hmm. and the judge gave me a second chance. He huh. said, he put me in a program he said, listen, you, uh, Go to school or go to work. Now, mind you, when I say I was selling, we we weren't. I wasn't selling it on a on a. On, we was on a more major level than just like dime sacks and so forth. So mm-hmm. there was a federal indictment that followed mm-hmm. our. Wow. Uh, so basically, you business. were being followed in tap. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, the judge gave me a second chance, and I kind of faded away because I got a, I became a, a afraid for my uh, freedom and so forth. So when the judge gave me a second chance, he said, you go to school, go to work. I said, I'm going to school. Because okay. I didn't want to go to work. We was getting too much money. I was making, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars mm-hmm. at a 19 years old, 18 uh, who, years old. Who, who was the judge? Judge Harvey Tennant. He passed away. Hmm. This was okay. in 1999, 2000. Okay. Yeah. And I was a street lord, mm-hmm. if that brings any bells to people, mm-hmm. right? Um so I ran with that group and Brick and 
those people. Mm-hmm. And um, he gave me a second chance, so I went, I went to school. Because mm-hmm. I was always a decent student. And then one thing led to another. I won't take you through the whole what thing. School, but what school, uh, what high school did you go to? I went to Southside. Okay. I went All to right. Southside. So I grew up on the east. Well, I grew up, I lived on the east side in McDonald Square. But I spent a lot of my time. We moved around a lot. Okay. So I lived on, like, middle school. I lived on the east side. McDonald Square. You familiar with McDonald Square? No, nah, where's that? Shane and McDougal area. Okay. And so uh, by like King, King Homes. Yeah, by I was going to say, that's like King. Right. But my mm-hmm. mom didn't want me to go to the Miller, which was the neighborhood middle school. She, mm-hmm. So she, we fixed the addresses and stuff. I'm out there in Southfield. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I was always a decent student. Mm-hmm. So when I got the second chance, the uh, opportunity for a second chance, I'm like, shit, I'm going to go to school. And I can't sell dope no more, but I definitely can't work either. Because that's the mentality of a of a, a, a lot of people in the game in the streets, is yeah. working is just like out of the question. First of all, 9 to 5, $10 an hour just won't cut it for me. So mm-hmm. I'm off to school because I can't work in anybody's job. And plus, I'm a boss. What, that's uh, that's how we think in my neighborhood. Like, I am a boss, absolutely. And to, for me to go and work at somebody's Wendy's is out, absolutely. I'd rather be in jail. Mm-hmm. So that's the what, mentality. Uh, what what school did you go to? I went to Davenport University. I started out there. Why did you uh, I did pick t- Davenport? Because it, I was just looking for some, a business uh, institution. A business school. Right, okay. a business school. And that was the one. That was like the only one. And I'm like, because that was my thing. They're like, okay, they t- send me to jail for like two or three days. I'm like, oh, I said, I'm in jail. Mm-hmm. This is real. Mm-hmm. And they end up giving me the second chance. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. I'm on my own business. What kind of business? Real estate. Hmm. This is how this, like, this is like a thing that's snowballed into what we're here for now, Today. which is the world. Right. So I'm going to into real estate. This is in 2000. Mm-hmm. I'm fresh off the streets. Mm-hmm. Seriously. Like, I'm driving a Jag. I, I'm like, you go out there right now, I'm that young boy, mm-hmm. you know, flying around, going to the uh, topless bars every night. Mm-hmm. Now I'm like, okay, now I'm about to go to an institution, a higher mm-hmm. learning. Davenport was the one. I'm going to study uh, real estate. Hmm. I got in there. like, we don't got no real estate. You can study management and marketing. Give me marketing. But I just took every real estate class that I could, and I spent all my extra money buying houses. Mm-hmm. And um, How many houses did you end up buying? Today, I, I probably flipped over 20 houses in commercial real estate. I got two commercial real estates that I'm working on right now, and I became a realtor and mm-hmm. just a lot of real estate deals in my Okay, so from that time, what led you to say, all right, I, I need to be on the legal end of this? So I finished my undergrad degree, and everybody was, like, going off to... Because now I'm a different... I'm becoming a different person. Like, I'm in the university. I was in the hood, but now I'm in the university, so... I where did you, uh, where did you wrap up your undergrad? UAD. Okay. And then I went to UAD Law. Why did you uh, choose UAD instead of any of the other universities? Because that's... That's what I'm saying. It's haphazard. I, I walked when I was finishing up at Davenport. I was like, okay, I need to go to a four-year university, and I went to U of D, and it just was like nostalgia. Like I went, to, I went to U of D for DAPSAP. My mom used to put me in DAPSAP, hmm. and I'm just like, I remember this. I'm going here, mm-hmm. and that's where I went. Mm-hmm. I'm like, case closed. I'm going here. I mm-hmm. probably could have went to Wayne State or. University you of Michigan, Dearborn. Places, yeah. I probably could have went to University of Michigan because I graduated. I was getting good grades. I got like after I got my wheels going, I graduated magna cum laude. Mm-hmm. Like I was a when I got to college, I was a star student. Hmm. 
Okay. So at U of D, you get your undergrad degree yeah. and uh, a BBA, uh, concentration, I'm guessing, marketing and yeah. management. Yeah. And from there, you're like, okay, I just want to keep this thing going. Yeah, I just started looking at it like, oh, this undergrad thing is really not enough. Like, this kind of like some underboss. I still got a street mentality. I'm like, this is, okay. this is like an underboss thing. This ain't going to get me nowhere. And then I start the, the instructors and the professional development people at the, at the universities. They're like, uh, okay, so don't rule out a, a management job at Foot Locker. I'm like, uh, hell no. Nah. I ain't do all this for that. <laughs> rule out a management job. At right. They like, they, like gear, they like gearing us for that. I'm like, are you crazy? Come on now. Uh-huh. So I need something. So obviously now, my, I need now something my take else. on business school because I'm from Wash, is in a lot of ways, business school is employee school. Exactly. You know, exactly. It, it's not exactly. true entrepreneurship. Exactly. You know, even though Wash runs on the tagline, you know, entrepreneurs. Exactly. Exactly. But it, it, it definitely looks at things from a management, you know, it says take calculated risk. It, it leaves out the, the, the two things which I think are very important in business, and that takes – and one of them you really have no control over and that's that's luck and timing and the other one within business is applying that luck and timing to your competitive advantage basically competitive advantages at all like so we're building this relationship now um and and uh, i'm i'm providing some services and we're going to be working together and i'm going to be working with you right so 30 years from now i'm sure it'll be people that probably have uh, better con, better concepts, better things, and and maybe I should be working with them, and you shouldn't be working with that other person too. But if we stay working together for thirty years, it'll be like a blind faith that that competitive advantage business school will say that no, you always make the decision based on uh, uh, yeah, the proposal right. and the da 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 da. By the time you get 10, 12 years in, it's like yo, this is what I need. And this is what I'm gonna do. And then it's like, well, it's gonna cost you ten thousand. Right. It's like ten thousand. Then it's like, all right, <laughs> that's what I want. If you want me to, you know. And then yeah. we nego- you negotiate, you move differently, and these relationships go so deep as the layers. And we're hearing about the the development right now being led by I forget what the name of that group is, but. Um, which development is uh, Rick, who I introduced you to yesterday, and they call it something else, but it's basically the Fisher family's uh, oh, generation. Right. What is that? The platform. Uh, it's yeah. the platform. So, so yeah, it's called the platform, but that's the Fisher family. So right. the Fisher family's been involved in real estate as Jewish realtors in a time when Jewish people, you know, I love that Fisher family story. It's like, you know, they wouldn't let them build the Fisher building anywhere further past Woodward. So it's like, I'm going to build the biggest skyscraper right, right. here <laughs> in New Center. Oh, okay. So it's that's like, how the Fisher like, family got there? <laughs> yeah, that's how it ended up getting there, racism. So like the, the, the thought process of things like that. So you have family and people that have been pouring resources into this family for for years and i'm not taking away any business acumen from the platform but those resources are like just blindly given you know um the the whole board of directors of uh of 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 dan gilbert's uh all the dan gilbert's operation because he's jewish or or jewish too so i'm sure whether whether the platform people give or don't get like whether the if the platform needs investment, I'm sure some of those people from Quicken Loans, uh, some of those families will just be like, "Yeah, man, here you go." Yeah. If you when you you know your 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 children come up and they have a business idea because they know me and it's like you know my dad and I'm doing this and I and it's like, "Yo, man, I'm gonna give you the five bands anyway." So <laughs> I mean, but but I do appreciate that you did this successfully. I'm gonna suggest you do it this way, but yeah. that's 
That's just how business is done. So your children having the competitive advantage to be able to work with me and the people that I'm connected to is something that is something that like business school does not like to um, hype up those connections. But it's so much business done that way as opposed to. Yeah. Uh, other ways, you know exactly. what I'm saying. If yeah. if you know your daughter is like, yo, I want to get into photography. But then like, can you put her on? And then I'd be like, yeah, man, I don't care. But man, but dude. then but but on the flip side too, mm-hmm. that's why that's school, what that's keeps why, excluding the but that's people. That's why university that, is so important sometimes too in yeah. business mm-hmm. because that's where those connections that's could where those be connections met. are made. Could be for, met. That's yeah. where those connections are made. Could in, be in, met in a lot of situations, right? So like, let's say I would have went to. And it's a door opener, like a big dog. Like, like, mm-hmm. like I, like I go knock on doors, and when I was in law school, and they only opened the door because I was, I'm like, yeah, I'll go to the law school over there, you know. Mm-hmm. And they like, oh, brother, especially like the black boy, they like, let's see your young brother doing good. Like, if I just yeah. came in there, Corey off the street, same hustle, same grind, same drive, same mind, like, right, same, same mentality, mind. they gonna spin you, right? Because I didn't, I don't got because it looks like you didn't put any effort into exactly. what we believe is success. So I use that. Yeah. I use my degree. Oh, yeah. A lot of people are like, oh, he ain't using his degree, but I use it. I use it. And then the stuff that I learn in my conversation here may not be as deep. If oh, some people may say it ain't deep. I don't think your conversation is deep anyway. But it would be less deep or less if I didn't have some type of knowledge. See, but you know. I, I would say your conversation is extremely deep because what you represent in a lot of ways from what you faced and, and your story and your upbringing is very um very similar to a lot of a lot of guys like that I came up with and a lot of them are still spinning their wheels trying to find their way so finding your way into real estate what 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 was it about real estate that just drew you in and attracted you real estate what drew me to real estate um it was probably well my grandmother she used to own properties and my uncle owned properties and oh and also, I grew up just loving real estate, right? Like mm-hmm. some kids like trucks, some kids like power boats and model cars. I like, I always like real estate, and I grew up like in the hood amongst abandonment and distress. Mm-hmm. And I would always, as a child, just look and look at it, look at neighborhoods in a way of how can I make them better? Okay, like, let's talk as a, from a like a like a from a very elementary. Looking at it in a really elementary way, like going outside the front door and like, okay, if I could fix that house, that house, and that house, then this house will look like the neighborhoods that I see out in my grandmother's neighborhood in Southfield or so forth. Mm-hmm. And also I would look like on television and I loved, like some people loved whatever shows as a child. I mean, I'm talking about seven, eight years old. I mm-hmm. love Bob Vila, Home mm-hmm. Again. Like I, wow. I would watch that type of stuff. And... Watch I was Bob. definitely not checking for that at seven, but I feel eight, you. Eight, seven, eight, <laughs> seven, eight, like nine years old. Yeah, I would be watching Bob Vila and watching him uh-huh. like build houses and take stuff from like nothing and build it mm-hmm. into and not using his own hands. Like he would be like, oh, you do that. Oh, you do. And I kind of mm-hmm. I kind of model my the way I manage things after Bob Vila. Like people something. ask me all the time. like, So what do you do? You do electrical? No. You do mm. framing? No. You do drywall? No. I do what Bob Vila did. Mm. Like, I come in there and watch the plumber, and then I talk to him, and I say, oh, you're going to put run that across there? 
oh, why are you running at a crook? No, you shouldn't do that. Because I kind of know, you know, mm-hmm. the basics. From years. Of everything. Yeah, I know the basics of everything. From, uh, let's, okay, you said, let's try to do it this way. From, from about uh, use my tw- own, 20 years worth of doing something with teachers. Right. Something. I don't use my own sweat. hands with Yeah. Okay. Um, and and that's another uh, six in one hand, half dozen in the other. Like different people approach business differently. Right. Uh, sometimes some people believe in let experts do it. Some people believe in I'm gonna do everything. Right. I'm kind of between both, depending upon what it is. But I definitely think, depending upon your your industry, it's best to let somebody skilled and experienced because it's time. It's it's time value. Yeah. Uh, can you make more money putting up drywall? Like. It may be better served in your operation to not put up drywall and be out here closing the next deal versus you yeah. putting up drywall, then having to close the next deal, then or, having to come back like and I do plumbing, then having to, you know. I have construction going on right now as we speak, yeah. but I'm not there, right? Yeah. So I'm building now, but if I was out there doing drywall, I wouldn't be able to, we just, wouldn't be able I to wouldn't do be able this. To kick it with you and have my face, my Instagram family. Yeah. See me uh, yeah. <laughs> kicking it with Detroit is different. Yeah, yeah. right. And this you is know, uh, time value, cost of money, as and talk paying about. the bills. You know that takes yeah. uh, that takes hours out your day. You know, so mm-hmm. I'm more of a manager, okay, than, so, than a carpenter. So let's talk a little bit about what's managing now. The Wildermere. It's a project that's taking place right at Wildermere and McNichols, Six Mile. Uh, Six Six Mile, Mile. Uh, how did that project come together? Ooh. I just saw an abandoned building on the corner of Wildermere in a beautiful neighborhood and just thought that it needed to be developed and mm-hmm. thought that it would be a good idea to, to develop it. I had the resources. Well, actually, I had to come with my partners and come together like booty cheeks and make that make that happen. Okay. So what do you see happening there? What is it going to provide that community? So first of all, it's a, it's a, a remediation of a, a blighted and abandoned structure. Just basic mm-hmm. that it we are it's already cleaned up a blight an abandoned eyesore in a community in a health hazard mm-hmm. um so that's that's community right there on its face but what we're gonna we have two luxury apartments upstairs mm-hmm. that are completed completely completed and we're about 90 percent complete with the event space that's going to be going on in the in the uh commercial uh area and you if you ride past there now at three one four three uh six mile you'll see construction going on as we speak okay so event space what what Birthday why parties. do you want to do like an event space like what do you see happening there i see birthday parties i see community events i see podcasts mm-hmm. i see uh breakfast brunches i see uh just community coming together and having a good time and enjoying each other okay okay uh now as you talk about this community space and what it's going to be um people generally respond a whole lot to food i've seen a lot of different interests from doing events food is always the best rallying cry to get folks into place exactly so like what's going to be happening with food and what what do you see my homeboy jim bob we actually putting together something right now uh a taco tuesday so we Hmm. we plan on doing taco tuesday every tuesday at the wildermere Okay. And getting that going. And I, I expect a lot of support from everybody there. And I also want to do a lot of pop-up restaurants. So mm-hmm. people coming up, maybe we do Burger and Fry Fridays. Um, and just kind of starting off the food with, with that. 
Okay. So you talk about the food. I know it's the kitchen there, but like, how did you set up the kitchen? And how do you think uh, some of the people, because that's always the big question. It's like, what are the kitchen capabilities? What are the kitchen capabilities? You oh, know, yeah. how did you go about setting up the kitchen? Oh, we got a fryer. We got a city burner stove. You know, we got a full, full commercial kitchen in there. Hmm. Yeah. And it's completely remodeled everything. We got about 2,200 square feet with a stage for a live band, a, a DJ booth for a DJ. Like, we ready to go. Like, it's going to be a nice spot, and it's completely remodeled. Everything we do is absolutely beautiful, if I have to say so myself. New bathrooms, lighting on the outside. We're waiting for our awnings to come. Like, we're really fixing up the mm-hmm. corner of Six Mile and Wildermere. Okay. All right. So, with with all of this development and everything else happening, that community. Beautiful community. Why did you pick that community? Well, I'm... I'm optimistic about the whole six mile corridor. That's not the only thing I have on six mile. I I, I have a physical therapy clinic, Premier Care, that's right on the corner of Six Mile and uh, Six Mile and Monta Vista, across from the Liberty Market. Shout out to my other partner, uh, Karina. She's mm-hmm. my sister. Um, yeah. So I just I'm optimistic, and my, and my mom also owns a a physical therapy clinic on Six Mile. I think it's Cruz. But we just I'm optimistic about mm. Six Mile. I, I think it's a good business decision. I see uh, a lot of uh, big dollars and city dollar, public and private dollars being invested in that area. When you look at uh, the fashion district and the money that's being spent, and the in- spent there and the energy that's there, I just think that it's a good play for um, for a business person in real estate. And it, it's the one of the largest swaps of nice homes or uh, unbroken homes in the city of Detroit when you consider uh, Palmer Park, mm-hmm. Sherwood Forest, um, Green Acres, uh, University, Golf Course, and mm-hmm. then the community behind us. I forgot the name of it, but that neighborhood from Puritan to 8 Mile, from Livernois to Linwood is like just a really nice neighborhood. And the the value is there. And I believe, and then you got a anchor uh, institutions with University of Detroit, um, Mercy, you have Marygrove College, you have Sinai Grace, and then the high schools like Renaissance and Flakes and so forth and so on. So you have a vibrant community. It just needs to be tapped in. I believe these people are here and they want and the houses in university going for three hundred grand. You got a million dollar houses in Palmer Palmer Woods. But they have to go on the other side of eight mile to get a burger or to 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 sit down and have a decent meal or you know what I mean they they're mm-hmm. taking those dollars to other neighborhoods and I believe that as a business community we you know we're not doing them justice we des- they deserve everybody deserves but these people have disposable in- income mm-hmm. and they should be able to take that money and spend it not on 9 mile in Woodward they should be able to spend it right here on 7 mile in Livernois and they should be able to have an event space that's nice that mm-hmm. they can enjoy on six mile in Wildermere and not have to go to nine mile and mm-hmm. whatever yeah, street, wherever. ten I mile and whatever the hell. Okay, so that's what I want to provide. Okay. Not only that, I want to provide the Wildermere and I want to go further and provide other things for these people. But mm-hmm. six mile is just a just a, a it's like it'll be, be the Wildermere and then the Lawton. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> All right, man. Every time somebody calls me, it cuts off my. Uh, yeah, the fee, yeah, it does that. It'll do that. Um, so we we wrapping up uh, and coming kind of to the close. Uh, this has been a great discussion. Um, 
So I got the classic Detroit is different questions. But before that, if people want to get in contact with you, the Wildermere, how do they uh, reach out to to book it, uh, to do a tour, uh, set up something? I just introduced you to uh, Sandra Epps, which I hope she'll be utilizing the space soon. Uh, Sandy does the doll show and she's been doing pillow paint parties. Uh, How do they connect? Well, they can connect with me at the. 313-204-0403 313-204-0403 and that's you know you can book whatever you need at the Wildermere you can do a tour of mm-hmm. the Wildermere I love showing my spaces I love talking about real estate so you're never getting on my nerves you never mm-hmm. you know you call me and you want to talk real estate call me okay and I'll show you my projects I'll kick it with you with all the knowledge that I have about real estate and I have a an extensive uh, knowledge on real estate I've studied it academically and I've performed it uh personally so yeah. you know just kick it and anybody who does real estate and their profession you know call me let's okay. look let's link up let's network let's do some projects together okay let's put our our brains and our dollars together and make something happen i love the city i'm from here like i told you my great my great grandmother was born here i don't know anything i don't know atlanta i don't know cali i'm not from alabama okay i'm from the d Ain't that something? Yeah, you 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 generations deep in Detroit. I'm from the D. I feel that. And you can holler at any of my cousins. We all from the D. Okay, okay. So I can imagine that the the Williams family reunion is like Bella, packed, right? And we, and we are like <laughs> seven miles away. <laughs> I assume it's like packed because nobody's flying in from Tampa or something. No, yeah, my hell family, no, it's all yeah, the my D. family Southern is all get up. Right up. Yeah, we're, you know, we're we do up, not bro. have people. You your family does not have Jerry curls at the uh, no, family reunion anymore. No, you know we got big <laughs> oversized Pelly 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 coats. <laughs> Al Wissoms. <laughs> Al Wissom, you know it's like get rid of the Jerry and, curl and, and Jabos. You gonna say a lot of Jabos, no? Yeah. My uncle he still wear Jabos. I I really uh on that point you know me I was it was hard to let the I, those Jabos shorts from like. 2000 and like 2000 to I don't know I, I was I was letting go of them late like 2000 and <laughs> you ain't want to let them go 2012 man those Jabot shorts were so amazing though because it was like you know <laughs> they, they were the best jean short jorts ever yeah. <laughs> First, and he was killing them if you had a, a, a Jabot it not don't don't have the Jabot short set or the Jabot jacket with the pants you killed them oh yeah yeah with the Nautica shirt and some patent leather feelers or something Oh man, it you was, know uh, what era we from? We yeah, from man, it was, it, it was long was, gone. I'm definitely stuck. I'm definitely stuck a little bit in my ways. Like I was looking at Allen Iverson on TV, like uh, the other day. Like, damn, man, Allen Iverson used to be so cool, but now he looked like the guy that uh, he still wearing big that, pants and stuff. Yeah, like that. man, he looked like the guy that was wearing like the Adidas jumpsuit <laughs> in the night. <laughs> You know, we should throw an old school, a 90s party at the Wildermere, like an oh, early man. 2000 party, and everybody wear like Jabos. Yeah, uh, I haven't seen an early Pelly. 2000s right, party. Right, because people do like 60s parties and yeah, no. 70s. I've seen the 90s and the 80s, but an really? early 2000s would be like Nelly and Chingy playing. <laughs> 50 Cent. <laughs> people be in there with do-rags on. Exactly. <laughs> like, like, where do I get the red and I black look, do-rag? Man, I look at some of my, with the fur, the leather jacket with the fur. Uh... I look back at some of my old pictures. I'm like, man, Iceberg. Yeah, I remember Iceberg. Uh, I remember Iceberg. Like, actually, uh, when I when I first met Blade, it was 
uh, speaking of the street blade, lords, right. um, rest in peace. Uh, it, you know, those icebergs was was so. You know, at the River Rock, I, I waited. I, I didn't want to wear this iceberg shirt till I could get to the River Rock, which that's definitely an error. You know what I'm saying? If yeah. anybody remember, I don't even know what the River Rock is right now. Yeah, the river. I went down and saw the River Rock, man. The River Rock is a. Uh, they redeveloping the River Rock. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they. It's gonna be the River Rock. Though. I don't think it's gonna but be. Man, that's crazy, man. We used to. I used to be. At, did you just go to the River Rock? Yeah, man. Like almost. Like uh, Bruh, I used to go to the River Rock every, <laughs> every single Saturday, Saturday in like ninety, I already knew. like ninety eight, ninety nine. Yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, every Saturday it was uh, you was at the River Rock. Yeah. Every, every Saturday, Saturday you'd be at the River with, Rock, um, and every with, Friday it it was like this was the with Baby Ray and uh, <laughs> Baby Ray. And what was the other guy's name? Baby Ray and Mo 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 B and Baby Ray. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They used to throw the parties. Them boys used to be banging. Yeah, I remember. Like I say, uh, hanging. That's when I first met Blake. His his cousin. He had like a little cousin that did like one semester. And I was like Uh-oh. flirting with her or whatever. She was okay. like, "Come meet me with my cousins." I was like, "Your cousins, Blake?" When he got <laughs> in, because they came in like, they came in like fifteen deep with the sleeveless chinchillas. Yeah. I was like, "Oh man, this is gonna be a oh, crazy yeah. night." <laughs> <laughs> just making it rain on random people. It was <laughs> just yeah. crazy, crazy, cra- crazy, 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 crazy. Uh, the whole, the whole premise of it, like the whole breakdown. But yeah, the that was Lord, just that a, street lord. The time you know, with the street lords, that was like, that was an amazing time for me. That was like my time. Yeah, like it was. It was, was a, my time. That's it was a snapshot. Was it was a snapshot. I mean, yeah. just by by default, I I at the time I look back at the music now and uh, I recognize its impact. But just because I'm over here, I mean, obviously, like in rock bottom. Yeah. I mean, it's like oh at the time, yeah, it's like I I was not necessarily listening to. It was like Big Herc is the man. I don't know about Blade. You know, hey, but, look, but <laughs> yo, yo. Then after I hung out with him, it was like yo. I gotta give it up. To I'm gonna say this bit. publicly, you know. And my uncle, my uncle is is yacht, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know yacht, but yacht is my uncle, and oh, that's my uncle, and break those are my uncles, right? So I'm street lord. Mm-hmm. That's family. That, mm-hmm. That's my family. And but rock bottom hard. Yeah, yeah, rock bottom hard. I love I, rock. Big Hurt was one of my favorite artists for a oh, minute. Me, I just switched up from from Big Hurt being my favorite to. To Jesse being my Blade didn't become my favorite until like mm. a few years till that last album. I said, "Damn, Blade might be the sweetest one out the D, man." But I don't uh, know. I, I I do know just at the time just hanging with him. But yeah, like I mean, being over here, it's like, and as you talk about like giving back and everything, um, man. And it was it was sad. Like one of my one of my closest of friends um that was like one of their last ones one of my closest of friends wine was murdered the last time they did their their big pick out uh cookout picnic over um, there by the basketball court yeah so the uh but you know rock bottom was like like they were very present present, just in my neighborhood you know very very president them uh chris bud coi uh Derek coleman um right. like these guys like you see them like in and around Derek would stretch further but like cuz he was cool with everybody yeah. uh just for cuz they were rapping and everything um yeah. even uh John Bettis Jerome's brother he'd be bouncing around like it, it, it was a it was a different era being connected to hip hop in that in that late 90s uh rest in peace proof uh proof day 2 days ago um uh, 
the the it was a feel you know it was definitely a feel it yeah. was definitely like a, a temperature of of you know a, a culture yeah. so now i can get to your uh detroit is different questions the classic ones That's uh the got. first one your yeah. very first car uh what year make and model was the car and uh, what year did you get seven monte carlo the euro with the european clip on the front like i had oh, a sport man. i had the i had the a gray with burgundy interior wow the v6 thing I, i'm surprised you were <laughs> able to uh i'm surprised you were able to park at any place uh without walking out in that car like monte cuddy's monte carlos or regals would they would like you know you were running a risk almost damn it. near anywhere in i bought it from uh from best was it best offer i think i better bought it for best offer or bt on seven mile you you know those car lots Mm-hmm. Best offer in BT Auto. Yeah, I bought it from one of those. I think the engine blew on that boy. Wow. How long did you have it? Uh, I had it probably about six months. I got it when I was in mm-hmm. a senior. Mm-hmm. Gray. Did you put... I thought I was going to put some rims on it. Yeah, I, I was going to say, that was no, exactly where did. I was going to go. Did I you put did. rims on it? I never did. I never got a chance to. <laughs> did you put sounds in it? Nope. I ain't had the money. I was, okay. I was glad that I, had the, <laughs> that I got the car. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it was it was yeah because but I have some I have some uh, some wood, some platinum woods. Okay, I, I'm surprised you couldn't sell the body even if the engine blowed because yeah. people. Oh, I did. I ended up selling it to my cousin, and he. You know what? Shout out to Rook to Quinday, my cousin. So I bought the, I bought it. Uh huh. The engine blew. Plus, I put a little dent in it. Sold it to him because I needed the money, and he ended up flexing it. All the way out, so oh, you know, man. room from the street lords. So mm. he bought it. He put like a three thousand dollar paint job on it. Put oh, like a, a four five thousand dollar motor in it. Oh, he redid man. the inside. He painted it purple and gold. He put rims on it. Everything. Oh, it made you. It made. It's like. It's like. Man, my kid grew up with him. <laughs> <laughs> Full potential right here. Yeah, so. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was, I it was, did do that. Okay, yeah, he bought it from me and put and flexed it out. Where he was turned the f- it into an SS? Mm. He put a, a SS clip on the front on it. Wow, wow, yeah, yeah. Those, yeah, that that whole yeah, Cuddy's, Monte Carlos, and Regals. Yeah. It was those were vicious. Yeah, those were vicious. Yeah, especially with the right amount of sounds. Yeah, yep. It that was uh, that was the 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 the. the the guy that's probably picking up the girl I want to date car. <laughs> so, um, it, it, speaking of that, where was the first place you went when you got your car? Damn. Probably, I don't know, but probably back over there to Plymouth Square. <laughs> I probably shot right over there to holler at my boys and tell them to jump in. I got the whip. Uh-huh. And we about to ride out to Rouge. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, dri- riding on Rouge, right? Uh, Rouge, Belisle, or Chandler Park. Like ha- being the driver for the first time is a different experience. Yeah, yeah. But you I know. had slung around uh, Belisle because you remember Senior Skip days and stuff like that. Like, yeah, I yeah. brought my uncle's BMW for Senior Skip days. <laughs> like, I killed him like in ninety ninety seven. I killed him ninety seven ninety eight. I killed uh, Senior Skip day with the uh, seven forty. Yeah. Great platinum. That's when uh That's when Bugs was murdered. Who was Bugs? Uh from D twelve. You know, oh. um you know, they put uh bleach in somebody's uh, in the super soaker. Shot up. Exactly. A girl. Hey, I Bugs saw the bro, rapper. I uh, saw that. 
you know bugs is uh you know uh rest in peace bugs but you know he was in d12 uh like eminem's one of eminem's best friends i saw that Mm -hmm. i i'm talking about with my own eyes i was down on i was down on um on bell isle for senior skip day Mm -hmm. right and me and my homies we chilling and like you said they they doing the super soaker thing they squirting people and yeah. some guy, man, I saw the guy shoot him, and then they zoomed, and then, and then they yeah. uh, they caught him right on uh, on uh, Bella, I believe. Yeah, I'm I'm sure they did. I mean the right. the whole, I mean That's I remember wild. this vividly because like this was like right around the time when I first met Proof, and uh, also as you talk about the girls that you like, I'm I'm in the I'm in the ninth grade. <laughs> uh, all the girls I liked was like, we gonna be on Bella today, and I'm like. <laughs> and then we saw we saw p i saw p like hanging out the window around jefferson because this was when i was at king and i was like man this is i'm like man i can't wait till i get a car and then um then the reports came across the tv and then they were like yo man bugs just got murdered like bugs was like one of the few freestylers i think that could keep up with proof okay and eminem like okay. and race five nine so it'd be like bugs proof race five nine yeah. m okay. you know so um yeah man it, it 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 was uh as we talk about events but yeah i remember that senior skip day because of those events that happened yeah i was that I was, that's crazy that you said that because i was there that's talking about man you know mm. i was there yeah i was there i'm talking about literally there not only on the aisle i was there and i saw it i witnessed that that's probably like the only time i witnessed somebody actually i tell people that's the only time i actually witnessed somebody get shot wow he ended up dying too so yeah I, yeah I witnessed that. That was, rest in that peace was too much yeah yeah second detroit is different question it's the end of the fireworks. You at Woodward and Jefferson. You get to play three songs. What songs are you playing? Woodward and Jefferson. It's the end of the fireworks. The end of the fireworks. Yep, and you a DJ. You get to play three songs. What you playing? Ooh. Damn. I'm gonna play some. Which Eminem am I gonna play? I'm play Eminem joint because he from the D and he he sweet. Uh. Something from Eminem. I, you know, I play the Eminem and Jay Z. Okay. I play Renegade. Yeah, Renegade. Three songs. Oh, I'm gonna play. I'm gonna play. Uh, I'm gonna play Blade. One of my favorite Blades. Which I, one? I don't know the name, but it's the last one on the first Street Lord album. Um, when he say, "Oh, the hell yeah!" I'm definitely playing that when he say, "Uh, front row at the Fox, sipping Remy on the rocks." Mm-hmm. Suited up, uh, iced out with the Maury big blocks. Chat together, grab your girl before I get her. Used to be a spot sitter, but since then I got bigger. I got an old name in the street. That's the name of it. Mm. Old name in the street. I'm playing that. And then I'll probably play maybe that one. Uh, which one? Which one is that? It's in my head. Um, the one that they play when it, when the uh, two eleven come on the the movie two eleven come on, hmm. I forgot the name. If y'all y'all so go check going, out two, oh. the two eleven movie, that's the one. That boy hard. I like that. I so you going all all Detroit? Yeah, I'm going all Detroit. Detroit rap, the, I'm, I'm on Woodward and Jefferson. Okay, all right. I'm on Woodward and Jefferson. If you and all these new timers that's coming to the D, and I notice, I'm gonna give you some of that Detroit flavor. I'm not about to play that uh, 
industry stuff. I'm play some of that local stuff because I mm. notice a lot of these people coming here new. They like I don't, I don't like Detroit music. Yeah, mm -hmm. well, you in the D, so it's time for you to appreciate and respect what we got going on here. Okay, and last question: If you could rename Woodward after one person, who would it be, and why? Rename Woodward. Yep, one Detroiter. Who one would it be, person? and why? Damn, who's gonna have to be a Detroiter? Mm -hmm. Who's somebody who did it big for the city? We name it Comey Young. Hmm. First black mayor mm -hmm. of the city. Uh, he came he came about when it was kind of like a transition to power when black black mayors of uh, mm -hmm. black power was kind of shifting black people was starting to it was black mayors coming up around around the country mm -hmm. he was one of them and he and is so the I'd most probably, uh, be, uh, he's the most ordained person when I ask that yeah. question that most people pick that's they what they pick, pick. Coleman yeah man yeah I, I kind of went with the with the run of the mill. Nah, that ain't the run of the mill. I mean, it's it's for justified reasoning. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so it's like it's like when you ask like who's the greatest basketball player, a lot of people gonna say Jordan, not because it's run of the mill. It's because exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or I might just say Kwame just on the strength of slap slap some people in the face because a lot of people don't. They kill Patrick. I've gotten that one before too. We go David. We go David kill Patrick. We go David Kwame Boulevard. Oh man, it, it would it would stop all development from white people. It'd be done. White people, white people do not like Mayor Kilpatrick at they all. They don't. Do it they? Is so funny, I noticed man. that they like. Yeah, it is so funny. funny. I'm like, I'm like, so he's doing. He did the same. I, it's like I thought he did politician stuff. Man, I looked. At I don't know what he did that's different than I still what. I don't know what the hell he did. To be honest with you, I'm like, what the hell did Kwame do? What he stole the money but but i mean they say he stole but it was it was bidding on contracts with people he knew which all politicians that's what mayor duggan's doing that's what governor snyder's doing that's what donald trump is doing years i'm still in the blind because he's black and and really in reality i think detroit would still vote for him if he got out today i probably would just off the strength like bruh y'all just gave my man 20 something years yeah i put him back in office man we got to figure this out but the same at the same time, Rob Blagojevich, around the same time he was going through it, the Chicago governor was on tape selling yeah, Barack Obama's the Senate, Senate seat. seat. Yeah, no. And to um to uh no, Jesse Bur Jackson. Bird. I thought oh, yeah, it was yeah, to Jesse yeah. Jackson. It was Jr. to Jesse Jackson then, but the other guy Burns yeah. got it or something. Yeah, yeah. Whatever the hell it was. They mm. got him he didn't do a day. No. Jesse Jackson Jr. did, but you know that's what happens when you black. Jesse Jackson Jr. Got, did some time behind. Oh that? yeah, you know when you black, when you black, you gonna you gonna serve some time. Man, so I'm like, why justice generally does not, uh, as they say, the scales of justice, scales of justice generally don't see good on our skin. Yeah, I agree. Unless we, uh, as the streets would call snitching, <laughs> but I would call turning evidence over to lock up more of us. Yeah. If you can, if you have enough evidence to lock up enough black people, Kari Fraser theory. You may be able to walk free. Shout out Gary Brown. Bam. <laughs> Bam. Shout out Gary Brown. Yeah. <laughs> the good water hit. <laughs> so um that is it. That is it. Uh thank you so much. And uh we're gonna get this posted. We're gonna wrap it up, cut it up, 
This is good. Man, this but conversation. Where do, I, where do my people go if they want to see this? Oh man, I'm gonna put it up. Instagram live. What they gotta go to Detroit is different. Yeah, I'm gonna put it up. Um, I don't know when we gonna put it up. We probably gonna put it up sometime uh, closer to when you guys do the Cinco de Mayo. Okay. But that's when we gonna do. Sweet. Thank you, sir. My man. Black revolutionaries, distillery owners, Italian fashion retailers, and Motown Grammy winners all share their best stories never before told in any other media outlets on Detroit is Different. Visit DetroitIsDifferent.com or download the Detroit is Different app on Apple's App Store or Google's Play Store.